This is Ham College, Episode 14 for February 29th, 2016. This episode of Ham College is brought to you by ICOM. Discover D-Star this season and communicate with your friends across the globe. And by hamstudy.org, a great place to study for your amateur license exam. Good evening, and welcome to another exciting episode of Ham College, number 14. I'm George. I'm Tommy. And we've got an interesting topic tonight, one that that you were saying before the show here is a little misunderstood. Yeah, it is a little misunderstood. It's it's probably the thing that when I took my technician test that I had to really work the hardest on. It's Mm -hmm. uh, some some tough stuff, but we'll get through it. Yeah, I think the basics of it are, are pretty easy to to understand and grasp. It's just some of the fine details right. are a little little complicated. Yeah, so you may get to u- actually use that buzzer sound this month. I could because <laughs> I know very well may. I know you but, didn't read over the questions yeah. in advance, and I'm I got money on you're going to miss a few of these. Yeah, I'll probably miss a few <laughs> of them. So I'm gonna go ahead and get you ready for that right now. <laughs> okay, you get the buzzer ready. I, I do. Well, you know, anytime we're doing an episode of Ham College, we like to have a chat room going at the same time. We've got a great bunch of folks in there. If you're watching us live there, go over to amateurlogic.tv slash chat. There you'll find the Ham College chat room. Got a good group going in there right now, and they kind of help us out as we go along. They feed us the right answers. And a yeah. few of the wrong ones. Yeah. And, and speaking of the chat, if you're you're watching this on YouTube, obviously, um, if you're in the YouTube chat, don't go there. Go to the one that you see on the screen right now because we can't monitor the YouTube one at the same time. Right. So th- this is where all the excitement's going on. Right. Last month's topic was SOS, uh, the history of SOS and yep. emergency communications. Well, we got something else that's that's gone on that... Um, I don't think you know about this either. I probably don't. You probably I don't. honestly barely even got here tonight. My plane coming back from Dallas was delayed. Yeah. And I didn't really have much prep time today, so I just basically ran from the airport, went home, grabbed my stuff, changed shirts, and came on. Yeah. Yeah, you did. I remember you <laughs> you called me on the radio and you said, I don't know that I'm gonna be there. Yeah. So. You know. I'm just proud to be here. I'm I'm just proud you are too. We got something here. Oh, awesome. No, I did not know about that. I don't have a close-up. I, I should have took a picture of this. It came in this week. It's an ARRL Mentor Program Elmore Award printed to, or awarded. Oops. <laughs> awarded to Amateur Logic and Ham College. And what it says is in recognition for providing unselfish and benevolent assistance to the novice radio operator by carrying on the time-honored tradition in amateur radio of sharing knowledge and providing guidance and support 
You are ensuring that others may experience the wonder, excitement, and friendship of amateur radio. This expression of gratitude is presented by... Oh, Emil. Yep. KE5QKR. Yep. The old man. The cheap, cheap old, old man. man. Yeah. Oh, I'm just the old man. Thanks, Emil. We, yeah, we feel awesome. bona fide now. Yeah. Almost. That's, that's great. Yeah. And... I didn't even know we were doing anything benevolent. Is that even Is, le- can, can legal? Can you do that? That's what I'm wondering. We'll have to Google that. <laughs> yeah, we need to get a picture frame <laughs> yeah. and hang this on the wall. Yeah, that's cool. Appreciate that, Emil. Yeah. Thanks, Emil. Well, Tommy... It's been nice having him over on Amateur Lodge. It has. Yeah. yeah so he's it, been on the last, what, three shows, I think? Yeah, just looking to see if he was in the chat room here tonight. I don't see him yet. Maybe he'll... Show up in there before the night's out. Yeah, Emil's been back with us on Amateur Logic here the last several episodes. Yeah, and yeah so check it out over there if you haven't yep. seen him. It's cheap. Yeah. Just my price. Yeah, and it, it's another one of our buddies, so we're, we're really glad to have him back helping us out there. Well, tonight's topic is radio propagation. By definition, radio propagation is the behavior of radio waves when they're transmitted or propagated from one point on Earth to another or into various parts of the atmosphere. As a form of electromagnetic radiation, radio waves are affected by various factors such as reflection, refraction, diffraction, absorption, polarization, and scattering. That's a mouthful right there. That's a lot of actions. That's a lot of reason there. Yeah. Yeah. Some of you have heard of this before. It's, uh, some, it's been referred to as skip or other slang terms like that. Yeah. Um, since radio communication is typically line of sight, propagation is the magic that allows you to talk around the curvature of the Earth. Radio propagation is affected by the changes of water vapor in the troposphere and ionization in the upper atmosphere due to the sun. Understanding the effects of these different conditions can help determine which bands are best to work at various times. Radio propagation is also affected by several factors determined by its path from point to point. This path can be a direct line of sight path or an over-the-horizon path, aided by refraction in the ionosphere. Factors including ionospheric radio signal propagation can include sporadic E, spread F, solar flares, geomagnetic storms, and other solar events. I'm with you so far. Okay, good. Radio waves at different frequencies propagate in different ways. For instance, at extremely low frequencies, or ELF, the wavelength is much larger than the separation between the Earth's surface and the D layer of the ionosphere. So electromagnetic waves may propagate in this region as waveguide, which basically mm-hmm. means it's channel, just channeling it right through. It's ducting is yeah. what we call that. Uh-huh. The interaction of radio waves in the ionized region of the atmosphere make radio propagation more complex to predict and analyze than in free space. Ionospheric radio propagation has a strong connection to space weather. Uh, Yeah, it does. And there there was something I wanted to show here, Tommy. You're showing the ionospheric layers here in this graphic. Uh This one right here, I was thinking, you know, the ionosphere is is just one of the layers. Yeah, there are actually layers in the ionosphere. Yeah. I, I did not realize that the atmosphere itself had the exosphere, the thermosphere, the mesosphere, 
the stratosphere and the troposphere. I was thinking the ionosphere was one more layer down in there, but no, actually, it extends over several of these atmospheric layers. Oh, okay. You, you see that there? It goes all the way from the exosphere down uh, through the thermosphere and right down near the mesosphere or, or mesos. I guess that's how you say that. But anyway, I digress. Is this the epiphany that you had? This is the epiphany I had. I did, <laughs> I did not realize that the ionosphere w- was not just another layer in the atmosphere. It's actually kind of running parallel to it is is the way I interpret this right here. Yeah, well, you could be right. Yeah, could be wrong, too. But. <laughs> a sudden ionospheric disturbance or shortwave fade-out is observed when the X-rays associated with a solar flare ionize the ionospheric D region. Enhanced ionization in that region increases the absorption of radio signals passing through it. I told you, this is some pretty heavy-duty stuff. Yeah. During the strongest solar X-ray flares, complete absorption is virtually all ionospherically propagated radio signals in the sunlit hemisphere can occur. These solar flares can disrupt HF radio propagation and affect GPS accuracy. And uh, that's a lot of stuff that, uh, that Dr. Tamitha does on, uh, talks about on Ham Nation, which is pretty interesting stuff. Mm-hmm. There's a... Several different types of propagation, yeah. That that we've got, and yeah. But uh, some of those are, are ground wave, sky wave, meteor scatter, auroral backscatter, sporadic E propagation, tropospheric scattering, tropospheric ducting, rain scattering, airplane scattering, which I haven't heard of that one before. Lightning scattering. But uh, luckily, there's some pretty cool online resources to kind of help mm-hmm. you predict and determine the. Uh, propagation conditions and uh, I, I, I did google it uh when i was looking some of this stuff up and mm-hmm. there were quite a quite a few interesting hits and there are actually some uh apps for your phone as well huh maybe we should have downloaded some of those yeah maybe so <laughs> maybe so well, let, let's kind of talk ours. about a, a few of these various types as well as we can okay i think we got a little a demonstration we can do here first let's Let's take a look at what ground wave looks like. Say I've got my handy talkie here. Yeah, and me, we're we're going to talk ground wave. Here, let me transmit to you over there. Okay, and you're using. I'm using your, my hot your, laser pointer here. Mm-hmm. If if we can get it lined up, it's kind of tough. Well, your handy talkie's not on though. Yeah, there it is. So now I'm hearing Tommy just straight path between us here. This would be W5 JDX M5Z and O. You're sounding kind of red tonight. <laughs> All right, so now that that's good when when we can talk ground wave, we got a path straight between us. But what if there was a mountain right here? I didn't. I don't have a fake mountain. You don't have a handy mountain here. Actually, I do. Here we go. I've got a box of awesome right here. Now hit me with ground wave. Yeah, it's not working out. So not well. really working, is it? Nope. So how do we get around this? Well, depends on what band we're on, but on some bands, we've got sky waves. This is the sky right here. That is? Yeah. Now, we're going to have to make the mountain a little is bit this shorter. this the ionosphere? That's the ionosphere. <laughs> <laughs> so hit me up there with a little bit of uh, I have no idea. Wave. I have no idea where they're hearing me. Yeah. Help! I saw it there. There it was. I've got it. Well, 
I think we're going to have to adjust the, the sky wave there a little bit. There we go. Now, you're going up. You're hitting one of the layers up here in the ionosphere, and you're bouncing back down here on my arm. There we go. I got it in my hand now. There so you go. That would be an example of sky wave. Yeah. So we've talked about ground wave, sky wave. Now show us meteor scatter. <laughs> well, that's ceiling. not really able yeah, ceiling to pull fan, that off. Ceiling fan it. scatter is about the best I can do. Yeah. I should have tied some tin foil around the blades up there, and we could have maybe done it. <laughs> maybe. Um, meteor scatter, that's when your signal's bouncing off the tail of meteors. Yeah. That's uh, that's uh, that's that's pretty amazing to think about that even happening. Yeah, but it does. Yeah, auroral backscatter. Yeah, a lot, a lot of these I've never heard of. Um, yeah, uh, sporadic e propagation. We, we're familiar with that. That happens mm-hmm. a lot. Well, a lot of these are six meters. Really, you know, plays into to a lot of these modes. Yeah, six here. and yeah, six and ten in that mm-hmm. area. Uh, trophospheric scattering and trophospheric ducting. I think those are the same thing. I, I could be wrong on that. But that's when, and we don't have enough mirrors or we could show you that. The signal goes up, it hits a trophosphere, and then it bounces back, goes a little ways, hits the bottom of it, bounces back up. It just kind of rides through the trophic sphere there. The tropospheric ducting is usually when there's like a temperature inversion. It is. And it basically makes a channel. Uh-huh. And like we were talking about the waveguide earlier, mm-hmm. it basically work, runs it through a channel that's up in the troposphere. So what happens is there's a, a layer of air cooler on the ground than it is up there at a certain level in the troposphere. So what happens is cold air gets trapped up in there there's a warm layer below it, and that's how it's able to go up and bounce around in there and then come back down mm-hmm. somewhere else. And I've observed that a lot working in uh, broadcasting over the years. Uh, I've got, well, I had a station that was, transmitter site was 20 miles away. The antenna was 1,800 feet in the air. 100,000 watt station. No problem listening to it on anything you wanted, you know, around around the area here a uh, really good signal some mornings we would have trophospheric ducting uh, or also might call it a temperature inversion mm-hmm. and they couldn't even pick up the station there at the studio they were hearing some other station oh wow and you would think that the antenna uh, you know or the, the transmitter was off the air that it wasn't working we were hearing somebody else now the transmitter was on the air what was happening is that layer of hot air was occurring below the 1,400-foot level, and the signal was just getting trapped in there and running along, ducting along, coming down somewhere else. So it was just skipping right over the top of you know, our intended area here. The way I worked around that is I had a backup antenna that was down about 500 feet. Huh. And so I could switch over to the auxiliary antenna, and then you could hear it because we were below, below that the duck. phenomena. Yeah, and we'd run like that a few hours till the duck cleared on out. Yeah, you know we've we've experienced that before. Used to when that 
and I would drive a good ways in the morning to work mm-hmm. uh, on those mornings when it had been warm and it gets cool at night or, you know, right mm-hmm. before the, the morning war- starts warming up. Uh, you can hear repeaters for oh, you know, yeah. 200, 250 miles off, yeah. uh, just like they're right here. They're really uh, an exciting part of, of being a technician and working two meters. That's when you can work some long-distance stuff on two meters. Yeah, that's fun. That's really fun stuff, and, and it mostly happens in the morning. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the, especially when the weather's kind of changing or, pace. Get up or late in the evening. Yeah, it, it does overnight. happen in the evening, but yeah. but I've, I've had better luck with it in the mornings myself. But well, that's because you go to moment. bed in the evenings and get up in the morning, yeah. and I was doing right the opposite. Yeah, see? Works <laughs> out well for me. Yeah. But it, it's... Um, it's also seasonal, you know, more certain times of the year you're more likely to see it than others. Mm-hmm. And certain parts of the country you're more likely to see it than others. But uh, definitely something that you'll enjoy if you, you know, get your technician exam, get on two meters. Mm-hmm. You can even work it on a handy talkie when it's really coming in good. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just yeah. amazing. You know, you're talking to somebody 500 miles away on a handy talkie. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty fun stuff. Yeah. Uh, rain scattering. You know, I, I'm i not sure what what they're meaning here, but you wrote it down, so explain it to us. Well, I'll be honest with you. I, I, <laughs> I, I believe it's when just because all the rain drops and, and it just mm-hmm. kind of diffuses or diffracts the, uh, the, the radio signals and just kind of scatters them all over. Yeah, I think that's... Um, it's that's kind of like affect, the shotgun approach. Yeah, that's going to affect the higher frequencies, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, particularly, well, maybe what they mean there is like what we'd call a rain fade on satellite. You know, you've got such a heavy rainstorm. We were talking about direct TV earlier this afternoon. You were thinking about maybe going to it, and I was talking about my experience with it. It worked great, except, you know, when it got a super heavy thunderstorm, mm-hmm. it would fade out. Mm-hmm. You know? And the same thing can happen with, uh, say, microwave communications, um, you know, that are working point to point with the dishes on the ground. Um, you can get, on, a, on the higher frequencies, enough rain that, you know, it'll make it fade. Mm-hmm. Airplane scattering, that is interesting. I wish I, wish I had um, some audio we could play of that. I've observed that. A number of times. Really? Do, do you? Know, I, I have not. That's you a, have, but you didn't know it. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't be surprised. I bet at that. you. What it sounds like, you're you're talking to somebody. Say on you know with say two meters, I suspect four forty would be affected by it as well. Not sure about six meters, maybe. And and you know you're within range of each other, and all of a sudden you hear a. A fading of the signal, rapid fading up and down, mm-hmm. you know, and and you don't lose them. You still got them, but you're just hearing the signal kind of fade up and down real quick. You can look up and you'll see a jet flying over. Hmm. And when that jet gets, you know, on further where it's not between the two of you there, it goes away. What's happening there is it's is it's causing multipath. I mean, you're hearing... You know, the ground wave signal straight between us, but we're also getting a reflection off that airplane mm-hmm. coming back down, and it's out of phase, so it's counseling. And, and it's an interesting effect. Uh, first few times I heard it, I wasn't exactly sure that's what it was, but then I got to noticing 
There's always an airplane flying over when I heard that sound. Oh, that's pretty interesting stuff. It is. And then lightning scattering. Yeah, that one I that one I don't think I've experienced either. I've heard lightning interference. Yeah. I'm but not sure it's about never I've never scattering. had it work to my yeah. to my favor, but it was in part of the data that I looked up, so you know, we were talking about the ionospheric layers and you start closest to the earth and you got the D layer and then you got a, you know, some E layers. It it's split up into more than one layer. Then you got a couple of F layers, F1 and then F2. The D layer, the one closest to the Earth there, how far out do you think that one is, Tommy? Less than 100 kilometers. So you're saying 25 to 55 miles. That would, Yeah, that would probably be my guess. And what is the D layer good for? What, what band does it affect the most? It's 7 megahertz, or 40 meters. And we've only got a D-layer during the daytime. Did you you realize all these layers we're looking at here, the only one we've got at night is the F-layer. The others kind of go away because the sun's not, you know. They're all, they're the all driven by the sun, sort of. Yep. So at night, we've got those top ones there, the F-layer. During the day, you know, we've got Ds, Es, and Fs. So if we move on up from the D layer, the next one we got there would be the E layer. And the E layer is out, uh, oh, how far would you say it is out? Well, it looks it looks to be a little over 100 kilometers, so 50 to 100 miles. Yeah, 55 to 90 miles, roughly. And the E layer, what it's good for, and, and there again, it the E layer goes away at night. But during the daytime when we got it, it works best for reflecting 14 megahertz or the 20-meter band. So we can see as as the layers get higher, the frequencies that are being affecting get higher. Mm-hmm. The next one, well, we've got a couple of F layers there, and these are the really the ones that, um, well, are, are really important. All of them are, but 90 to 150 miles out would be the F1 layer. And what's it going to affect most? Uh, 21 megahertz. How many meters is that? 15 meters? So what's the F2 layer good for? Yeah, the F2 layer is, well, greater than 250 miles. That one is good for 28 megahertz or 10 meters. The F1 and F2 layers, those become just the F layer at night. There's only one one layer at night. Okay. I didn't talk about the 80-meter band. The 80-meter band... You know, is really only open at night. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's when you get the best distance out of it. I should have studied this more, don't you think? <laughs> <laughs> and you, you should have too. Yeah, unfortunately, I had no time. Why is eighty meters open at night, and it goes contrary to everything we just said about that? <laughs> the ionospheric layers there. You see that D layer right there? That absorbs signals from one to seven megahertz during the day and so that's why we don't have good 80 meter propagation during the day is that d layer there mm-hmm. at night the d layer goes away so it's not absorbing our spectrum below seven megahertz anymore well this is what we're talking about tonight it's going to be uh, uh interesting questions here for sure yeah i'll probably be exhausted when we leave here yeah uh, me too <laughs> but hey 
it's got to be done. It's part of your exam. Um, like I say, most of these concepts are pretty simple. Getting the fine details might be a little more challenging, but yeah. Um, I, I tell you what, let's take a break. Let's get a message from our sponsors, and then we'll come back and just get right on into the questions. All right. Discover D-Star this season and operate over the Internet gateway through repeaters. Uplink your local repeater, downlink from a remote repeater, and enjoy clear audio as you communicate with friends across the globe. Choose from five fun color options with the ID51A+. This D-Star Dual Binder features integrated GPS, free downloadable RSMS1A Android app, near-me repeater function for D-Star as well as analog repeaters, and it's available in classic black, sunset orange, passion pink, ultraviolet, and lime. If you're just starting out in D-Star, check out the ID-880H. Features include VHF, UHF, dual band functionality, one band at a time, good menu structure and easy programming, and fast multiple scanning for maximum reception. Interested in hands-free D-Star operation? Hit the road with the ID-5100A. This radio offers optional Bluetooth capability, large backlit screen for high contrast viewing, and 50 watts of output power on both VHF and UHF. Limited shack space? No problem. The IC7100 base station is a great compact D-Star option. It covers HF, 6 meters, VHF, and UHF. An angle control head and touchscreen for quick intuitive operation, large internal speaker for clear digital audio, and it's perfect for multiband and all-mode communications. Visit icomamerica.com amateur for more information on ICOM's D-Star radios. Well, Tommy, I think it's about time that um, we give away something before we get into these questions, because we may forget all about this little giveaway here. All right. I'm going to have to draw someone here. What are we going to give away? Man, we're going to give away this stylish ICOM cap and ICOM ham crew t-shirt, very similar to the ones from last month. Compliments of our friends at ICOM. Okay. Be one of the best dressed folks at the Ham Fest, like I usually say. It's still true. Mike Pemberton, K0IKZ. All right, congrats, Mike. Now let's let's get on into the questions here. The first one tonight. Well, why don't you read this one, Tommy? What is the usual name for electromagnetic waves that travel through space? A, gravity waves. B, sound waves. C, radio waves. Or D, pressure waves. And you asked the question, so I will answer it. Okay. And I think we all know the answer to this one. Easy enough. Radio waves. C. And that's that's what we're seeing here in the chat room. Yeah. Okay. Radio waves. Radio waves it is. All right. Well. I don't think there was much question about that one. I don't think so. All right, moving on to the next one here. Which part of the atmosphere enables the propagation of radio signals around the world? A, the stratosphere. B, the troposphere. C, the ionosphere. Or D, the magnetosphere. So what do you think, Tommy? Okay, so that will show how much I was unprepared for this one here, probably. So uh, uh, it's not the magnetosphere. I'm going to go with 
nobody in the chat room's helping me out here either. So they're not. No. It's yeah, not they're helping you, but don't look. Don't Are look. they? Yeah. Okay. What do you think? I, I'm thinking it's going to be the ionosphere. You See? think it's the ionosphere? Yeah. See, yeah, I think you're right. The stratosphere is in. That's in Vegas, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So it's got a roller coaster on the top of it. Yeah. Well, you're right. All right. Ionosphere. One down. One down. Yeah. By the time that show's over, I'm going to be sweating over here and everything and dripping down <laughs> on my shirt. <laughs> yeah. Stratosphere, that yeah, didn't really uh, help radio propagation. Troposphere has some effect on it. We talked about tropospheric uh -huh. ducting, ducting earlier. Yeah. But ionosphere, that's the one that allows you to, you know. Yeah, I don't I think the troposphere the is not quite as far. Yep. Okay, next question here. What is the radio horizon? A, the distance over which two stations can communicate by direct path. B, the distance from the ground to a horizontally mounted antenna. C, the farthest point you can see when standing at the base of your antenna tower. Or D, the shortest distance between two points on the Earth's surface. Okay, this is my answer. What is radio horizon? Shortest distance between two points on the Earth's surface. Now, I'm not even well. The shortest distance between yeah. two points. That doesn't even really make sense if you. Well, I think if you went around backwards, on where there's the two. Are. There would be two paths to any two points on the Earth. The one. Direct and the one going oh, the all the one way that's around between, the world. The one, well, you can't see it. The ones between here and the ones that where you go all the way around and get back to the other side. Yep, yep. <coughs> uh, I think, well, I don't know that you can show us that with the laser pointer. So, uh, well, we know not it's... Not without a big set of mirrors. Now, we know it's not that one. Uh, see, the farthest point you can see when standing at the base of your antenna tower. I mean, that doesn't even make sense. A radio horizon... Why would you stand at the base to see the farthest point? You'd want to climb up on the tower and mm -hmm. see the farthest point. But, I mean, that's not what they're saying. So, I know it's not C, standing at the base of my tower and looking. B, the distance from the ground to a horizontally mounted antenna. No. What's that got uh, to do with the horizon? Yeah, I don't think that, uh, yeah. I mean, it might affect the radio horizon, but... Uh, that's not the definition of it. And who cares if it's horizontal or vertical, really? Mm -hmm. So I, I'm saying it's A, the distance over which two stations can communicate by a direct path. I concur with that. Okay, well, let's see. Everybody in the chat room is saying A, and it is A. So, so oh, give me one okay. there. All right. Well, so the far next we've one survived. Here. What, is that three? That's three. All right. Nobody's out yet. Why do VHF and UHF radio signals usually travel somewhat further than the visual line of sight distance between two stations? It's A, radio signals move somewhat faster than the speed of light. B, radio waves are not blocked by dust particles. C, the Earth seems less curved to radio waves than to light. D, radio waves are blocked by dust particles. Well, there are two contradicting ones right there. So mm -hmm. this one's mine. I'm going to go. 
I'm going to go backwards. D, radio waves are blocked by dust particles. I don't think that's really going to have much effect on it at all. Well, and it's not going to make a signal travel somewhat further. No, than, no. Yeah. Uh, Earth C, the Earth seems less curved to radio waves than to light. I think that's going to be the answer. B, radio waves are not blocked by dust particles. Irrelevant. A, radio signals are somewhat faster than the speed of light, and that's untrue. So I'm sticking with my answer of C, Charlie. Okay. And congratulations. You got another one there. Yeah. Um, yeah, radio signals move somewhat faster than the speed of light. No, nothing moves faster than the speed of light, does it? Last time I clocked it, it didn't. Yeah, it's pretty yeah. fast. Radio signals actually can can move a little bit slower depending on the medium that they're, they're going through. Say if you're shooting it down a coax, um, that slows it down a little bit. It's not quite the speed of light because we've got something there we call velocity factor. That's mm-hmm. When we talk about coax cable, that's what the velocity factor right. is affecting is the speed that it's going through there. Well, next question here. Why are direct, not via repeater, UHF signals rarely heard from stations outside your local coverage area? A, they're too weak to go very far. B, FCC regulations prohibit them from going more than 50 miles. C, UHF signals are usually not reflected by the ionosphere. And D, they collide with trees and shrubbery and fade out. (laughs) I don't know who makes up some of these. Yeah. They're pretty good. Yeah, they are. Um, Well, let me read the question again. Why are direct... Not via repeater, UHF signals rarely heard from stations outside your local coverage area. Uh, they're two weeks to go very far. You'd almost think that, but they, they can go a distance, so I'm going to say that's not it. BFCC regulations prohibit them from going more than 50 miles. No. In amateur radio, the FCC regulations don't specify how many miles you can go on anything. No, just power. So that's not it. Uh, D, they collide with shrubbery, um, with trees and shrubbery and fade out. No, I don't think that's the answer we're looking for, although that does kind of sound like a good one. But, I mean, that's... Only That's if not you're trying to listen to sitting on the ground behind the bushes. <laughs> <laughs> but that's not um, that's not preventing us from hearing somebody outside our local coverage area. No. So I think, and according uh, to the chat yeah, room, yeah, here, you're not supposed to look at the chat room. Well, I am. They got <laughs> so, they're all over the place on this one, so I can look at it. Uh-huh. We've got C, Ds, and As. I think it's C. UHF signals are that's usually what I think too. not reflected by the ionosphere, and we know that's true. Um, UHF signals really aren't, you know, reflected by the ionosphere. That mostly affects uh, HF frequencies. Yeah, it's just the wavelength. Yeah. Well, let's see if we're right. And we are. All right, man. So that we're doing getting, a lot better than I thought we would. They're getting a little tougher, though. They are.
Which of the following effects might cause radio signals to be heard despite obstructions between the transmitting and receiving stations? A. Knife edge diffraction. B. Faraday rotation. C. Quantum tunneling. Or D. Doppler shift. And this is my answer. This is yours. Which of the following effects might cause radio signals to be heard despite obstructions between the transmitter and receiving stations? Well, Doppler shift. That's that's not it. Doppler shift is like, um, and I don't know the kids have really heard this as much as we did when we were growing up, but Doppler shift, uh, well, of course, it's used for radar quite often, but the best it, example I can think of is I'm standing here on the side of the train track, and when the train's approaching, I hear the horn blowing at a particular frequency. As it gets closer, the, the frequency changes. As it passes by, the frequency takes a dip. Mm-hmm. That's Doppler shift. If something's approaching you and then passing you, it's the frequency appears to slightly shift on it, although it really didn't from from your uh, vantage point. It did. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's not phenomenon. that. Yep. See quantum tunneling. No, I don't think that's it. Um, I'm not really sure what that is, but it's not the answer. Do we even have a quantum tunnel around here? We don't. So we don't have any tunnels. Yeah, in Mississippi. All right, Faraday rotation. I'm not sure that's a thing either. Uh, doesn't seem like a thing. Well, that only leaves us with knife edge diffraction, and I was not really familiar with that term, but I think that's what it's going to be. So, what are they saying? Now, they're kind of all over the place in the chat room. Well, I think too. I think it's a. You, you're going to go with knife edge diffraction, like I'm saying. Yeah. All right. Well, let's see. And now, I think I think what that is 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 if you have some if it's it says despite obstructions. So I'm thinking that that the radio waves are going to be able to work their way through small. Opens. Yeah, and I'm going to get this wrong, but I'm going to try to explain it. Okay. You got a mountain here between us. We shoot a radio signal up. The mountain blocks it, but there's a phenomenon that makes a certain part of that signal kind of split and try to follow the curvature of it. Oh. And comes down on the other side. Now, it's not... It's not a lot of the signal, but a, a small portion of it will be refracted and uh, come on over. Or you're actually going to look it up, huh? I think you're right. Radio propagation effect in which atmospheric attenuation of a signal is reduced when the signal passes over and is diffracted by a sharp obstacle such as a mountain ridge. Yep. All right, well, let's move on to another one here. But how'd they do over in the chat room? Yeah, they were a little sketchy on that one too. I think yeah, that proves one. these are tougher questions yeah, they, than we've been they, having. Yeah, this is a this is a tough subject. Yep, but still not insurmountable. Yeah, it's it's not a, a lot of these things on the technician test are things that if you've been around 
any type of electronics or any kind of radio stuff at all. A lot of it you've probably picked up on. But this stuff right here is stuff that you really probably wouldn't have been exposed to unless you actually went looking for it. Yeah, I've, you know, you don't hear things like knife edge diffraction come up in everyday conversation. Oh, we talk about that all the time. No, <laughs> yeah. No, not. Okay, next question here. What mode is responsible <laughs> for allowing over-the-horizon VHF and UHF communications to ranges of approximately 300 miles on a regular basis. A. Tropospheric scatter. B. D layer refraction. C. F2 layer refraction. Or D. Faraday rotation. There it is again. I'm going to go ahead and scratch D right now. F2 layer refraction. Tropospheric scatter. Yeah. layer refraction. Now this one, I'm I'm honestly going to probably have to guess on this one. I have a hunch. Yeah, I don't think you really need to guess on this one. If you read that question again, there's a, there's a key point in there that I think is going to... What, what mode is responsible for allowing over-the-horizon VHF and UHF communications. Uh, and that's the that's the important part right there. Yeah, UHF. and that's why and that's why I have a hunch. I, I think it's going to be a trophospheric scatter. That's what I think. Trophospheric ducting is you know what. Yeah, what because we were, we were talking about it. that earlier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, that's why I think that's it. But other than that, I have no way to reason the other two out. Well, the the answers that we've got. Coming in here on the chat room, we're a little mixed on this, too, but I'm with you. It's going to be tropospheric scatter because I don't think the, the other layer is really coming to effect on VHF and UHF very much, if it, if at all. Yeah. There you oh, go. I did get it. Yeah, that we, was close because I, I really wasn't sure, <laughs> but uh, I, just because of the UHF and VHF stuff, I thought it was tropospheric. Yeah. So. Well, that, and that's your key right there. The trophosphere is the layer that affects uh, the, these higher frequencies like VHF and UHF. Frequencies below that, the HF frequencies or, or medium wave frequencies, those are the ones that get up into the ionosphere mm-hmm. and do stuff. But VHF and UHF, the troposphere is the one that's your buddy. Ironosphere. Uh, the, the, not the ironosphere. It don't help. <laughs> <laughs> what is a characteristic of VHF signals received by auroral reflection? A, signals from distance of 10,000 or more miles are common. Uh, B, the signal exhibits rapid fluctuations of strength and often sounds distorted. C, these types of signals occur only when during winter, nighttime hours. And D, these type of signals are generally strongest when your antenna is aimed west. All right, I think we can narrow out. Aurora reflection. All right, what is the aurora? The, like the northern lights. Mm. Okay. Uh, from from the solar radiation, I think, okay. bouncing off the atmosphere. All right. What characteristic of VHF signals? All right. So the frequencies got everything to do with these questions. You know, they, they're all uh-huh. frequency dependent. So if we look at A there, 
Signals from distances of 10,000 or more miles are common. No, I don't know if anybody's ever talked 10,000 or more miles on VHF. Much less on, commonly. On the Earth. Yeah. I mean, now you might, you know, I'm not even sure how far off the moon is. It's more than 10,000 miles, I guess. So you can do moon bounce. Do I need to Google that? I think maybe you should, because I'm probably, I could be telling a lot. It's got to be more than 10,000 miles. Um, Siri. Anyway. How far is the moon? <laughs> VHF signals don't go 10,000 miles. It just, it just don't happen on Earth here. All right, B, the signal exhibits rapid fluctuations of strength and often sounds distorted. I must say that's a good possibility there. The aurora is, is kind of, you know, interfering with our signal there. C, these type of signals occur only during winter nighttime hours. Now, I don't know that that's got anything to do with it. I think if the aurora is there, it doesn't matter if it's, Nighttime or not, I mean, maybe it does as far as us visibly see it seeing nighttime. it. Yeah, but we couldn't see it in the day. Mm-hmm. But radio waves can. Mm-hmm. If it's there, it's it's there. Um, all right. So D, the types of signals are generally strongest when your antenna is aimed to the west, and that just don't. That doesn't seem like that would mean anything at all. So I'm going to go, it's, it's B. Uh, the signal exhibits rapid fluctuations of strength and often sounds distorted. And we've got a B there. I believe it's, I believe it's Bravo also. Yeah. It's the only one that really makes any sense. Yeah. People are not answering these. Yeah, they're tough. <laughs> at least they're not only ahead. tough to me, they're tough to others, obviously, as well. Yeah. We we have to answer them here, whether we get it right or not. So far, we're batting 100. Let's see. And uh, incidentally, the moon is 238,900 miles. So it is a little more than 10,000 miles. Just a, few, just a few more. Okay. Well, there you go. B, the signal exhibits rapid fluctuations of strength and often sounds distorted. So there you go. That's what okay. an aurora reflection can do to your VHFC. Yeah. Unfortunately, we probably don't have any of that down here. That's probably the people up in the north. Yeah. Probably experience that more. Um, here's here's one for you. No no VHF signals ever gone over ten thousand miles. But what about people doing moon bounce? Well, that's what I was talking about. I said on Earth. Okay. No signal has gone over ten thousand miles. But on moon bounce, or when you're talking with satellites, I'm not sure how far the satellites are. I should have just it'll show up. On, it'll that. show up on my iPad here in just a minute, a minute because you said that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but no, on Earth, okay. I don't think a VHS signal has ever gone ten thousand miles, at least. Not without leaving Earth and coming back. Uh, yeah. There you go. I like that. Okay. That sounds good to me. What causes? Tropospheric ducting. This sounds like a familiar topic, Tommy. It does. A, discharges of lightning during electrical storms. B, sunspots and solar flares. C, updrafts from hurricanes and tornadoes. Or D, temperature inversions in the atmosphere. Discharge of lightning during electrical storms, I, that's, that is not going to be it. 
and I can't tell you why, but it's just not. I think that's more, that's more of a source of noise. Although there was lightning scatter on this list, and I'm going to do some more research on that later just to see. But sunspots and solar flares that affects uh, that does affect your propagation, but not tropospheric ducting. No updrafts from hurricanes and tornadoes. No, I'm going with D delta temperature inversions in the atmosphere. And that's kind of, we talked about that a little while ago. Yeah, I think you're in good company there. Everybody in the chat room is saying D on this one. This is one of those um, that that you'll you'll know. I mean, we talked about VHF earlier. The troposphere is the layer that, that mm-hmm. affects it. So there you go. Temperature inversions in the atmosphere. All right. Done better than I thought. And and I have I have no cheat sheet out here. This is my propagation article we read earlier so the night's still young the night is still young no telling what could happen (laughs) okay let's move on to the next one what is generally the best time for long distance 10 meter band propagation via the f layer Uh uh-oh here's a new layer all right and we're talking about 10 meters this time 10 meters a from dawn to shortly after sunset during periods of high sunspot activity. B, from shortly after sunset to dawn during periods of high sunspot activity. From dawn to shortly after sunset during periods of low sunspot activity. And from D, from shortly after sunset to dawn during periods of low sunspot activity. And this one, I don't know, Tommy, this is going to be tough. What is generally the best time for long-distance 10-meter band propagation via the F layer. Uh, it's going to be... I know the answer to that one. I think it's going to be during high sunspot activity. Uh-huh. So that's going to mean it's either A or B. From dawn to shortly after sunset during periods of high sunspot activity... Or from shortly after sunset to dawn during periods of high sunspot activity. Well, and and I could get this one wrong, and I don't. It's either A or B, and I don't want to give my reasoning out until after we know the answer because I might steer somebody down a wrong path if I do. I'm leaning toward A. What are you leaning? I, th- toward? I think it's going to be A. That close. Yeah. <laughs> on the upper HF bands, and and let, this is my reasoning on this one. On the upper HF bands, the propagation is usually best during the day. On the lower HF bands, like um, 160 meters or 80 meters and and 40 meters, propagation is, well, 160 and 80 meters propagation is always better at night, whether there's sunspots or not. 40 meters, you got propagation day and night. But you start getting up above that, say, and particularly 20 meters, it does not work at night a good part of the year. So 10 meters being a little below that, uh, you know, that, that's why I'm leaning toward shortly after sunset. Whether there's high sunspots or not, the upper HF frequencies are better in the day than they are at night. What band is the best suited for communicating via media scatter? 
A, 10 meters. B, 6 meters. C, 2 meters. D, 70 centimeters. Meteor scatter. We talked about that earlier. Yeah, we did. We didn't talk about what band, though. Well, it's not going to be 70 centimeters. Okay. That's that's UHF. That's just 2 meters. I don't think it's 10. I think it's going to be either 6 or 2. All right. Narrow it on down for us. Yeah, I'm working on it. I'm trying to figure out some logic to narrow it by. Okay, I'm I'm gonna. Uh, it's probably two meters, but I'm gonna. I've just got a hunch that it's six meters. All right, let's see. I think you're right. It seems like I remember. Yeah, that is right. Yeah. Yep, that's right. It's six meters, and I I kind of knew the answer to that one because I've got some friends who work meteor scatter, and I know they do oh, it yeah. in six meters. So. Uh, that's the one. I don't have a good uh, a good way for you to remember that, other than just telling you remember meteor scatters on six meters. Yeah, so I just kind of remembered that from the back of my mind from somewhere, but it seemed like two meters. Yeah, I just I don't know. I six, got lucky. Six meters, by the way, is what they call the magic band, mm-hmm. because most of the time. It's not doing so hot, but when it opens up, it's just like crazy the way that it works. You know, it's it's such a good band. Um, yeah, I've worked a few band openings on six meters before. Mm-hmm. Mobile at that. Really? Uh huh. So I've never had a six meter mobile antenna. Really? Yeah. Uh, it was it was yeah, fun. Yeah. Talked to Colorado and stuff for mobile. It was pretty cool. Hmm. Which of the following? might be happening when VHF signals are being received from long distance. A, signals are being reflected from outer space. B, signals are arriving by subsurface ducting. C, signals are being reflected by lightning storms in your area. Or D, signals are being refracted from a sporadic e-layer. I'm so glad this one is yours. I knew you would be. Which of the following might happen when VHF signals are being received from long distances? Okay, we're talking about VHF. Mm-hmm. Important point here, we're talking about long distances. Signals are being reflected from outer space. Hmm, I'm going to leave that one as a, as a possibility. B, signals are arriving by subsurface ducting. No, I don't even know what that is. Is there such a thing as subsurface ducting? I've heard of subs- subspace frequencies. But subsurface? No. No. Uh, so I know it's not B. C, signals are being reflected by a lightning storm in your area. No, that's not it. Lightning is it's really not reflecting signals, so we, we can kind of rule that one out. Uh, D, signals are being refracted by a sporadic E-layer. I'm going to go with D just because sporadic E is a term I've heard a lot. Because it's familiar? Because it's familiar. It is D. Signals are being refracted from a sporadic E-layer. Well, it slipped by on that one, too. Man, no buzzer tonight. No buzzer yet? So far. I'm, I'm actually surprised because I, I I expect us to have at least missed a, missed a few of them by now. We got a few to go. 
Well, let's see if I can trip you up on this next one. Which of the following propagation types is most commonly associated with occasional strong over-the-horizon signals on the 10, 6, and 2-meter bands? A, backscatter. B, sporadic E. C, D-layer absorption. D, gray line propagation. I don't think it's gray line propagation because I know that's typically the HF bands that mm-hmm. we experience that with. Lower frequencies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, D layer absorption. Absorption is uh, that's that's not really that's that's, that's kind of absorbing kind of, your signal. That's going to yeah. kind of like attenuate the signal some. I would think it might not be the right term, but you know what I mean. Well, yeah, that's a good term. Yeah, works. Sporadic E. Or backscatter? I believe the answer is going to be B, Bravo, sporadic E. Well, we've got... I don't even know what backscatter is, so that left me with E, with a B. Okay. I'm going with that. All right, well, we've got A's, D, and B as answers in the chat room here. I'm going to go with you and say sporadic E. But I'm not really sure either. It's either. Yeah, I don't. I don't yeah. think it's the bun, There's a bunch of D's in there. I don't think it's gray line propagation. No, I'm no, sure not on those bands. Yeah. Uh-uh. Nope. Sporadic uh-uh. E. Nailed it. Yeah, that was worth the fist bump. Yeah. Are you new to the ham world or an existing amateur operator who wants to take your license to the next level? Study for your radio license exam at hamstudy.org. Hamstudy.org is a free online learning tool powered by ICOM. It was created by Richard Bateman, KD7BBC, Michael Stuffelbeam, KV9G, and Rich Porter, KK6GKE, and it uses a modern web design to enhance the experience of studying for your technician, general, and amateur extra exams. Since 2013, hamstudy.org has helped new and existing hams to familiarize themselves with the question pools, use stats-based flashcards to focus on material they need to learn, and take practice exams to gauge progress. Visit hamstudy.org on your desktop computer or mobile device. Register for a free account at hamstudy.org to access personalized study history and other site features. Prepare for an exam in an intuitive and comprehensive manner. Check out hamstudy.org, powered by ICOM, for free learning tools. Good luck on your next exam. It's intermission, it's intermission. It's intermission, it's intermission. Ice cream, candy, lemonade, too. And there's a hot dog waiting for you.
Well, I like those old clips. Those are pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, it's new to us. Yeah. I think that's one of the ones that our friend Mike, VE3MIC, sent recently. Yeah, yeah he's just a wealth of uh, He's always sending some interesting stuff over here. Interesting. I like the way that you pull that word out. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's get on back into our questions here. We've got, got a few more to go. All right. So I think it's my turn to read the question. Okay. Which of the following bands may provide long-distance communications during the peak of the sunspot cycle? A, 6 or 10 meters. B, 23 centimeters. C, 70 centimeters or 1.25 meters. Or D, all of these choices are correct. Well, all of those aren't correct, so it's not D. Uh, C, 70 centimeters or 1.25 meters. Now, uh... Sunspots don't have much effect on these these higher bands like this, so it's not that. B, 23 centimeters. No, like I said, it's it's a frequency thing. Uh, sunspots are more affect the lower frequencies, and the lowest frequencies we've got listed here as a possibility is 6 and 10 meters. So I'm going to say it's a... What do you think? Oh, yeah, and then we actually kind of covered this uh, earlier. Similar. It was a yeah. very similar question. So there we go. Six or ten meters. Let's move on to the next one here. Which of the following results from the fact that the skip signals refracted from the ionosphere are elliptically polarized? Oh. A. Digital modes are unusable. B. Either vertically or horizontally polarized antennas may be used for transmission or reception. C. FM voice is unusable. D. Both the transmitting and receiving antennas must be of the same polarization. This is this would be a good okay. One. This one, I th- I think I know. What th- I think I know this one. And the key is because it's because it says elliptically polarized, which is circular polarization. Uh, is elliptical the same so, as circle? Elliptical is a little circle, more oval. But it's still yeah. circle. It's okay. not a perfect circle, but okay. it's still right. very similar. I'll agree. Okay, so I, that's going to to me that's going to rule out D. Both tr- both transmitting and receiving antennas must be of the same polarization. And C FM voice is unusable. That's a, to me that's irrelevant. Yeah. It doesn't have anything to do with and it. And shouldn't A, digital modes, that shouldn't have anything to do with it either. I think the answer is going to be B, either vertically or horizontally polarized antennas may be used for transmission or reception. Well, and that's because of the elliptical polarization. Yep, and uh, everybody in the chat room is saying uh, B on this mm-hmm. one. So I, I think you... You probably got it right there. Uh, this is that's what I would have chosen. There you go. You awesome. Know, vertically or horizontally polarized antennas may be used for transmission or reception. What property of a radio wave is used to describe its polarization? A. The orientation of the electrical field. B. The orientation of the magnetic field. C. 
The ratio of the energy in the magnetic field to the energy in the electrical field. Or D, the ratio of the velocity to the wavelength. I know the answer to this one, but... Um, yeah, me too. You do? Yeah, I think so. Actually, you do. Okay. Yeah. All right. There's only one that really, to me, that makes any sense there. All right. Well, it's... Which one would you say? Just... A. A. Okay. Uh, it's not D, the ratio of the velocity to the wavelength. It's not C, the ratio of the energy in the magnetic field to the energy in the electric field. Well, it's it's A, the orientation of the electrical field. The orientation of the magnetic field is, is not used to determine polarization. Right. And and let me just kind of qualify the reason for that. You've got an antenna here. This antenna is is vertically polarized. If I turn it like that, it's horizontal. Mm -hmm. All right. So when it's vertically polarized, we're talking about the electrical field because radio waves have an electrical and a magnetic field, both. The electrical field is the one that we're talking about when we're talking about polarization. It just so happens that the electrical field and the magnetic field are at right angles to each other. If our electrical field is vertical, our magnetic field is horizontal. Okay. So it's got to be one or the other. It can't be both. So it's the electrical field is the one that we use to describe polarization. Cool. And there we go. And uh, just about everybody in the chat room there, everyone who who answered said it was an A. Cool. So on to the next one here. Which of the following is a likely cause of irregular fading of signals received by ionospheric reflection? A, frequency shift due to Faraday rotation. B, Interference from thunderstorms. C. Random combining of signals arriving via different paths. Or D. Intermodulation distortion. Which of the following is likely a cause of irregular fading? Irregular fading of signals received by ionosphere reflection. So I'm going to go ahead and scratch intermodulation distortion off of the list because that's 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 having two mm-hmm. two signals combined essentially right it's causing the intermod random combining of signals arriving via different paths that's that's multipath irregular fading that that's plausible interference from thunderstorms. I, th- I think not. Not fading. You can no, hear some fading. some noise in there, whatever. Mm-hmm. Frequency shift due to Faraday rotation. That's not going to be it. It's got to be. It's got to be C. Uh, Charlie random combining of signals via different paths. Which of the following is likely cause of irregular fading? Because I'm, I'm, what I'm seeing, what I'm thinking here is this is almost the example that you said about the airplane earlier, mm-hmm. or multipath. Uh-huh. It, it's just like multipath. Um, I, I'm going to go with you. It's uh, going to be random combining of signals received. Everybody's had C paths. on the chat room too. So. 
Everybody was right. And and that makes sense because the same example we gave, if we're putting out a signal here and I'm talking to you, it, you're going to get part of that signal direct, but you're also only going to get some that's bouncing you know, here, off the ceiling. You need to bounce some off the ceiling again? I don't have the mirror handy. Okay. So. <laughs> You're, and that's going to be a, a time delay between the direct signal and the mm-hmm. one that's being bounced. And, you know, a time delay can cause a, a shift in the phase of the signal. And when two things are out of phase, they cancel. So, and it could uh, cause a fluttering. And that could cause a fluttering, like you're saying there. or, or Fading. Uh, yeah. Interesting stuff. It is, it is neat stuff. It's just some of it's... Uh, yeah. It's a science, it. really. Mm. It's, it's a science, but um, none of these are out of the realm of, of understanding. I mean, now, so so yeah. far we've been able to reason our way through the majority of them. Yeah, it's somehow, somehow. And guess what? We got through them all. No way. No buzzer this time. No buzzer this I, time. I thought for sure we'd hit the buzzer at I least two or three times. Would. And I think people are missing the buzzer, Tommy. So. Just hit it a few times. <laughs> That was interesting stuff, and uh, I, I hope we got it all right. Yeah, I need some Tylenol. <laughs> if we were saying where you can learn about uh, when the next episode it'll be, facebook.com slash group slash amateur logic, or just go to uh, Google Plus, search for amateur logic, and you'll come up on our community there. There's been a lot of great posts in there lately. Yeah, yeah, it's so, been. Uh, it, it, it runs. We didn't get that one going some more. It's yeah. um, it's a, it's a lot of good stuff it's on there. It's a little different than the Facebook group. It, it, it yeah. is. It's totally different, but it, it's uh, it's not quite as active, but it, it's a fun place. Yeah, and and pretty good information. There's uh-huh. not a lot of, uh, well, I, I'm not going to use that term. I was going to say it's, it's not a lot of junk to shift through, which... You know, um, generally Facebook is face, pretty good stuff. Yeah, it's not, yeah, it's not it, too it's much good junk stuff in our there Facebook too. group. It's a good place. But the the Google Plus community is leaning more towards some uh, interesting technical. Yeah, it's a little more. Yeah, it's a little more technical. Things. Yeah, but that's thanks to Mike Ve Three Mic who finds a lot of good mm-hmm. good content. Yeah, he keeps that here. going pretty good. Yep. And you can follow us. Where is that? On Twitter at Amateur Logic, and we also have another one uh, at. Ham College. At Ham College. Yep. I, I guess I need to add that to the lower third, too, don't I? Yeah. Since. We're not quite as active on Twitter as we should be. Yeah. Um, we do post when we're going to shoot there, um, so follow us for that. And then occasionally, if we're, if we're at a ham fest or something, I'll post something. If, and, if we so. post something on Twitter, it's really important. Yeah. So you, don't, you sure don't want to miss that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you can learn... More about um, each episode of Amateur Logic and Ham College by going to amateurlogic.tv slash wiki. Our friend Dan, N9LVS, keeps that going for yeah, us. Says, yeah, thanks to Dan for doing that. He does a great job on it. Yep. Well, Tommy, I think we can put the ribbons on this one. Yeah, maybe we'll get the buzzer out next time. Maybe so. Maybe so. I don't even know what we'll be talking about next next episode of Ham College. But I can guarantee you there'll be some questions in it. Pretty pretty sure that's a good uh, gimme. Okay. All right, 73, everyone. Have a good uh, week. We'll see you in a couple of weeks on Amateur Logic. 73, everybody. Good night.
Do you even remember what we did last I, month? I do remember. We had uh, the topic was repeaters last month. So. No, that was a month before. From shortly after sunset to dawn during periods of low sunspot activity. From shortly after sunset to dawn during periods of low sunspot activity. That's just what I said. Yeah, I thought I heard it before. <laughs> it sounds familiar. I'm looking at the chat room. Nobody's answered it. They must be having a hard time too. Man, I was, you guys let me down.